0: G'day and welcome to a Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ, the DJ, and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs and a CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, though, I would like to introduce you to Ozlem Attar, who is doing a PhD in cultural studies under the supervision
1: of Dr. Petra Faschinger. Welcome to GradChat, Chat, Oslam. Um, Thank you, Colette. It's my pleasure to be chatting with you about my experience at Queen's University and my ongoing research.
0: Fantastic. You now I I... Like what I should first say, I met Oslam in uh, probably, to, learn, to know you a little bit better, was at a writing camp recently that we had this past summer, so that was always fun. And it's great to see what our students are doing all the time, particularly our international students. And as that kind of brings me to, before we even get on your research, Oslam, is, you know, some other questions about your background and about a series of events happening this week as part of International Education Week, which of course we will talk a little bit more about that later. But firstly, you are an international student, as you said. So what made you come to Canada to do
1: your doctoral studies? It's a long way. It is. I agree. So I come from the Republic of Turkey. Eh? Attention there, the country has recently changed its name. Now it's Turkey. Eh?
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Well, thank you, for. I've already learned something already. Look at that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I came here in September 2011. And uh, in Turkey, before I came here, I worked as an English teacher and instructor. I mean right. English as an additional language. And I was doing another PhD in communication sciences. So ba- my background is a bit of a mix. <laughs> language teaching, communication sciences and intercultural communication theory. And it's also literary intercultural communication studies, which is like women's writing, uh, Muslim women's writing about September 11, But that's right. past. So... When I realized that it might be wise for me to pursue my doctoral degree outside of uh, my country, this was a hectic time right after the d'etat attempt in Turkey. I initially didn't know what to do or where to start. So, So again, it was quite hectic. So one thing I knew, though, was I wanted to be in a more peaceful social environment. And I think... Canada, so to say, Canada winked at me at that stage. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So the next step was, okay, I'm passionate about this topic. I had already done some background graduate level, level research. And in the sense that I was enrolled in a doctoral program in my country, but it seemed that I wouldn't be able to finish it. So that's the how to say beginning of, ending of a story and beginning Be- of, of a new, a new one. journey.
0: Right. Yeah. Were you able, sorry, I'm going to just jump in there. Were you able to transfer what you did from what you did in Turkey to here?
1: <laughs> it happened so that I ended up finishing that. Oh, great. That's good. Uh, so you're going for a double PhD. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's been challenging, but it's fun. Good, when, especially when you have very supportive uh, supervisors and other faculty members, right. also friends. Good. Yeah. So I must uh, acknowledge that my initial exchange with my supervisor in, here in Canada at Queen's, Dr. Petra Fischinger, was important. I mean, when I began to consider options outside of Turkey, I contacted two professors in Canada, two professors whose work I was familiar with, and received positive response from both of them. So I believe professors in Canada, I'm, I'm serious when I say this, do a great job in responding to student emails, student inquiries about That's good to uh, hear. about, you know, future co-projects together. You feel valued. That's, this this that's was good. something I was not much used to in my home country. So anyhow, one of those two professors was my supervisor. I had read her early research, so I was fascinated by a few things. Of course, one of them was her research topic, but the other was she had produced in a language that was not her mother tongue. That was fascinating right. for me. Mm. And I thought, now I know she's a very disciplined person, a great academic. And I must work with this person under her supervision. So let's say my admiration for the faculty was the first thing that, it, that invited me yes. to Canada. And other than that, of course, I didn't know much about Canada except for the maple syrup and winters <laughs> yeah that's I know. serious
0: you can't get proper maple syrup because I, I know I totally understand there because back home that we call it maple syrup but clearly it's not it's the the fake one oh and so whenever I go home I have to take the real maple syrup home <laughs> otherwise see, I'm not allowed in the country
1: <laughs> see when I went back to Turkey this past summer I even brought maple syrup yes to my family and friends that's
0: and it's you go to the border control and they go what if it'll customs and they go what have you got in the bag to declare go eight tins of maple syrup (laughs) they go what
1: (laughs) yeah of course then i found out about queen's university as one of the top research universities and i thought okay it'll be cool to have my diploma from this that's Research great. university, and then Kingston knew nothing about the city, of course. Uh, but it seemed like this quiet place. Uh, you see, I lived half of my life in Istanbul, and okay. that's, that's busy. a very, very busy, very crowded mm-hmm. and tiring city. It's beautiful, but I love those markets. You, you want to leave it at <laughs> yes, <laughs> markets and food. Yes, but <laughs> you want to go there as a visitor, as a guest, right. but you don't want to live there. It's tiring, as I said. Right. Very tiring. So I thought, why not? That's good. And you came. You arrived.
0: I have indeed. That, that's good. And uh, you, you're clearly settling in because each time I see you, see more and more relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> I am, yes, thank you. <laughs> now, as, as I mentioned, this is International Education Week, which is all about celebrating, and exploring the impact of international education and for us here at queens what does you know what does that look like so this year's theme is Embracing Identities, Stories and Strategies for Global Learning. Now, of course, there are many activities going on this week. So if you want to see the full schedule, there is a specific website set up on the on the Queen's uh, website. Just go to the usual, you know, dub, 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 queensu.ca slash conference slash international education. This is the second year that Queen's has been involved in this. And it's been run through our Student Academic Success Services and our Queen's University university international centre they're leading the charge and as the preview of the week says there's you know there's a lot of interactive presentations panels and social media posts which will celebrate global experience of students and educators and share and learn from each other's stories and strategies so i suggest people should mark their calendar for november 17th and 18th this week because there's lots going on and this is one of the reasons we wanted to do grad chat that was specifically about international education education because it's a great opportunity for us as we do each week to show what our graduate students are doing but it's also a great way for us to highlight what our international graduate students are doing or what students are doing on the global circuit so it's, it's a great way of doing both so can you tell us about some of the activities happening this week for International Education Week.
1: Oh, so thank you very much for di- for bringing this up, it I'm attending the International Education at Queen's Conference on the 17th and 18th, which is Great. Uh, this Thursday and Friday. Yes. And for those listeners who haven't heard about it, this wonderful two-day event is hosted by Queen's University's International Student Centre, or what we call quick. We love our acronyms. Yeah. And the venue for this, mm-hmm. um, for the in-person events is Mitchell Hall's second floor, I think. Yeah, second okay. floor. That's great. Okay, so one uh, one session that may be of interest to many students like myself is about strategies to getting a job in Canada as an international student. Um, yeah. I think, in, especially international students, but, but anyone can really... Like should really attend this this event, so it it'll begin at ten forty-five on Thursday, and the participants need to register for this event. And I say, don't miss the snacks and uh, drinks.
0: Always helpful. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it is an important topic. It is. Yes. It is. Uh, I. I mean, food. Food Is also always <laughs> important, particularly for students. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I also want to add a thing about this. Uh, SAS uh, Student Economic Services is involved in organizing mm-hmm. this event, and I work for them uh, as a part time writing consultant. Fantastic, and actually. A colleague uh, brought this grad chat to my attention and I want to say thank you to them. <laughs> uh, yes. Well, they're a world of information,
0: which is great. And there's all these support services, which when our students get to know about them, they can learn so much and get so much support. So I'm glad you got told about within your job there, but also about GradChat. chat.
1: It's worth staying connected.
0: But, uh, totally, totally. And that makes things a lot easier. Yeah.
1: So the other session I wanted to talk about is study abroad. Its, it's title is study abroad, culture, self discovery, identity stories. And here in this session, participants talk about their experience on when they were on exchange. Right. Like, yes. I am guessing the participants will be undergraduate students who went to other countries and came back or exchange students who are at Queens, and I'm very excited about this.
0: It's always good to see, you know, because internationalization or globalization isn't just a one-way, it's a two-way thing,
1: so... Exactly. And now, Friday, this event continues, and there are two sessions that I am particularly interested in. The first one is Guide to IRCC Applications. What is this? This is all about extending your study permit, applying for visa, Mm -hmm. things like that. And this is, as far as I know, this is a Zoom event, and you can uh, register for it. And I'll be joining this because I have a couple of questions about my own study permit. Which, which, is ne- which is
0: never easy for our students because they're always changing the regulations. So luckily, Quick is very good at keeping on top of that. And so it's good to learn and, and keep on top of it yourself too.
1: Yes, actually, immigration law, especially when it comes to the higher education in Canada, is changing next September. Like it's already been announced and right. I guess there's a lot to learn about this issue and this session seems like a very informative session and The other one I wanted to mention is Introduction to Intercultural Awareness. Ah, yes. That's a good one. Definitely a good one. This one is a workshop series. It's normally normally over four weeks, isn't it? I think it has five parts. I did the certificate uh, three years ago. Right. And this one is the introduction of that certificate program.
0: Which is good.
1: So, as far as I know, again, uh, they want to introduce students to certain aspects that that comprise a culture, and how this is how so,
0: Canadians do things, and and I, th- I think one of the obvious ones, and and some of that stuff that they do is that. You know, we have some students coming from certain countries where you don't talk above your supervisor or disagree with your supervisor because there's very much um, a hierarchy. When you come to Canada, it's a little bit different and it's OK to be a bit more informal with your supervisor, depending on the supervisor, of course, but in general, a bit more informal and it shouldn't be this one's above the other, there shouldn't be this hierarchy going on your colleagues yeah even though you're learning
1: yeah about that hierarchy I I need to mention something the very first day I was in Kingston Petra my supervisor asked me to call her Petra and then and other faculty members who I've assisted so far or somehow work with them asked me to call them by their first name and I'm, I'm like mm. not sure I'm comfortable with that Yeah, <laughs> yes. yes I call my supervisor Petra but I'm still not very comfortable mm-hmm. calling other mentors here at Queen's right. uh, by their first name that's a cultural difference and it's something students can learn more about okay so I guess you know we should get on to
0: your research because that's the other area one of course is the international thing but this the research too which is incredible what you're doing here. And it's about justice in Trump era family narratives of irregular migration from Central America and Mexico to the United States. So can you give us a bit of a brief overview of your research? Because I found I'm finding this fascinating. And I'm sure other people will
1: too. I hope so. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so what I do, I analyze five Trump era narratives of irregular migration. From Central America and Mexico um, to the United States with respect to their discussion of justice. Okay. Oh, that's a big title. It <clears throat> is. <laughs> so let me, let me clarify a few terms there for those people who are not familiar with these things. So... I call these texts family narratives of irregular migration because migrants' decisions, even when they travel by themselves, migrants' decisions are made within the context of family. What I mean is the migrants portrayed in the text that I'm looking at are trying to get together with their parents. This is the case for child migrants. Right. Or their are siblings or their partners it's always within the family even even if it's not a biological family it's other relatives right so that's why I call these family narratives and the other thing is I call these texts Trump era narratives because these are based on their publication year right some of them mention Obama era but a lot of the comments they make about justice and injustice concern, Trump era, Trump administration's policies.
0: Right. So right.
1: When when I talk about my research, people ask me, so why this era? Why that era? Like why why these labels? Obviously you can write about anything, any era, but you have to limit yourself at some step. Exactly. Uh, at some stage. <laughs> so that was how that is how I limited myself. I'm focusing on books that were published within 4 years of Trump administration. Right. And for the big term, irregular migration, Mm -hmm. not a lot of people... I've never heard that
0: term before.
1: (laughs) So you probably heard the word illegal immigrant or undocumented immigrant. Right, yes. So illegal immigrant is quite disparaging. It's criminalizing the person rather than the action. So we, in migration studies, we don't use that term. And it's... In, this, in, in, in particular to my research, it's always about crossing international borders, not domestic uh, migration. Right. I have chosen five texts. Of course, this happened after reading 50 to 100 primary <laughs> sources, both fiction and non-fiction. And my you supervi- found five that you liked <laughs> the best <laughs> or complemented? Yes. Five I chose in the end after my supervisor told me, Özlem, you've read enough. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah So, so every time she was checking in, I was like, I'm reading this. I'm reading that. Oh, there's this other book coming out. Like, I should read that too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lucky you like reading, but you do have to stop at some stage, don't you? Yes,
1: that's true. So the five texts um, that I chose participate in debates on irregular migration right. as aesthetic and discursive contributions. Ooh, that's a big word again. It is to migrant justice movement or migrant justice mobilization. And I'm taking the US as my context, but it could be Canada as well. Right. One of the big destination countries. So now you may have heard of the word, like the phrase migrant justice. Mm -hmm. It's been used quite a lot, but there is no established definition. I'm surprised
0: about that. With everything else that's going on, there's no definition.
1: No, there's no accepted definition Mm -hmm. yet. There is migration justice, there's immigration justice, or, or the discussions about these terms in philosophy, political science. Right. But there's no established definition about migrant justice, which... I'm hoping to come up with
0: after I complete my thesis. Well, that's good. They're always looking for new definitions in the various dictionaries.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what I'm trying to do is uh, discussing this concept, migrant justice, in relation to human rights. When I say human rights, basic human rights, right to life, Mm -hmm. right to family for children, Right. right to education, like these basic rights. And then I'm also looking at the relationship between, again, migrant justice and border violence, migrant justice and immigration detention, and migrant justice or justice and responsibility or, how to say, relational ethics. This will be the last part of my thesis. So I say... Uh, the five texts propose that United States <laughs> must critically analyse its relationship with other countries in order to come to a just t- solution. Right. Like, what have we done to these countries or people in these countries so that they're choosing us to, like choosing to come here?
0: Right, right. Or what
1: are we doing now to address issues or here. maybe to, con- like, how are we contributing to the issues they're facing there and here once they come. One term I want to use is this is a fancy term I borrowed from Martha Nussbaum. She's a philosopher and ethicist. An is um, judicious spectator. I want to use that word. I'm still it's still a work in progress. You see, and this is I guess I'm asking how these texts, the five texts, are inviting readers to participate in this. Discussion of justice, migrant right. justice. Like I'm trying, you see, I'm trying to bridge literature with life outside of literature. Mm-hmm.
0: Some are biographies and memoirs, aren't they?
1: Yeah. So as I said, there are five texts, and two of them are biographies about actual migrants. They are co-written biographies by the migrants themselves right. and uh, the researcher, teacher, colleagues. And one memoir, this is an interesting book, really interesting book. This is, to my knowledge, the only book that is written by a former border patrol agent. So to say, giving a testimony to the border violence between okay. Mexico and the US yes. mm-hmm. since 1995 with their prevention through deterrence policy which is like how can we how can we prevent these people from coming to our country if we employ the nature to kill them or to ma- maim them to somehow right. to, stop them, to stop them then the problem will be solved and this person the author reflecting on his experience as a border patrol guard and right. an intelligence officer okay so it's it's very interesting
0: so it's Um, coming from not the migrant it's coming from someone on on the border
1: yeah i should mention it's also an interesting piece because it starts like that two-thirds of the book is reflecting perspective of someone who's guarding the border who's in a powerful position but the last part is written from the perspective of a migrant who has to cross the border several times because he before being deported from the US for being undocumented right he has lived in the US for 30 years and he has family I mean two kids and wife and work uh, on the north in the on the north of the border so you hear both voices right right and the last two pieces are novels so it's a mixed genre uh, kind of research and the novels are linking. One is Lost Children Archive by Luis Ellie. And that is linking the current mass deportation of... When I say current, I mean Trump era. Mm-hmm. Current mass deportation of child migrants to the countries they came from to historic injustice against indigenous communities through the... I don't know if right. you're familiar familiar with a trail of tears, this forced ah, mobility of right. indigenous communities. Right. In, so the, she, in the U.S.? In the U.S., right. Yeah. So she's drawing analogies between these mm-hmm. two issues because right. I must say, I know it's it's a bit of a, a sad topic to study and to hear, mm-hmm. because a lot of children were removed from the U.S. in 2018 illegally, secretly, so that families would be deterred from Right. Doing it in the future. Mm -hmm. And about 500 of them are, those kids are still missing.
0: Which is awful.
1: Yeah. So I say, yes, I'm reading a fiction, but I'm not reading fiction Mm -hmm. for the sake of fiction. I'm connecting this fiction to life outside of the pages of these books and the last one last book is also a fiction and uh what i'm doing there is i am trying to to pursue um a discussion of justice from an ethics perspective Mm -hmm. like what do we owe to one another for a just world and this is going to be a more general hopefully level-headed discussion
0: you've got a a lot of differences there which is really good to try and come up and I, i noticed in your briefing to me You mentioned certain research questions will help guide your analysis of the text. So so kind of, I think, using your words, can you explain why these questions, and and you've given me a few, how they are guiding you. So, first of all, what obstacles to justice do Trump-era family narratives of irregular migration from Central America and Mexico to the United States identify?
1: I see each of these texts approach the topic from a different angle. Some focus on the reasons why so many minors, when I say minor, individuals under 18. Minors are heading towards north by themselves. Right. And some of these books focus on why they come. Others focus on, so how can we address this issue when once they are in the United States? I wanted to catalog what they have to offer. This question has more of a descriptive angle. Okay. And then what
0: about narrative strategies and aesthetic features do the authors deploy to get their messages across?
1: Okay. So before answering to that, I'd like to say I'm interested in finding out how the authors and their, and some of them have co-authors, migrants themselves, how they define justice if they're Uh, explicit right right yeah Mm -hmm. so i look at that too but these are all focusing on the content of the books with the next question you you asked narrative strategies and aesthetic features i switch from a cultural studies analytical perspective Mm -hmm. cultural studies approaches texts differently than um, literature departments. Right. I mean, establishes links between society and literature. So I switched to more of a literary analysis. You know, literary forms and narrative devices inevitably interact with and inform the messages uh, Mm -hmm. a text conveys. So I want to be able to see how these texts do what they do through these narrative strategies. I mean, why prose? Why I mean, why a novel rather than a poem?
0: Right. Good point.
1: Yeah. So... What role, then, do the texts
0: ascribe to the reader?
1: Okay. All of these texts appeal to readers on various levels. Right. I mean, logical level and emotional level. So they desire to affect readers' sense of what is right and what is wrong. Like, right. what is just and what is unjust. So they recruit human stories, right. intimate stories, because they obviously want you to have empathy for these characters, for the characters, real and fictive characters they... Uh, portray. Some explicitly ask readers to commit to this cause. Uh, in a section of my analysis, I want to reveal what they ask the reader to do. This could be mm-hmm. when I say get involved. At the end of the book, they may say donate to this center, okay, donate to right. this migrant shelter. Right. Or they might say, well, vote for this person or that. So they're that- looking for an action. Yes, yes. Some are more explicitly committed books. Right. They are written with a certain goal in mind, other than aesthetic goal.
0: Right, which makes total sense. So
1: in what ways then do the
0: texts contribute to the migrant justice movements?
1: That's what it's all about, right? So I hope this last question will allow me to engage in a level-headed discussion about the relationship between literature, arts in general, but literature, right. social life revolving around that literature, that literary text, Mm -hmm. what I mean is how they came about, what are they referencing, how are they affecting other realms of life through their existence, through readings, through book clubs. You know, our university chooses a book per year and the committee makes sure that students are exposed to contemporary issues that affect all of us and these books do the same and I'm wondering, wondering how at least make us understand what it means to be just in relation to migrants. That's good. It's a big topic, isn't it? It is. Yes. Very, uh, and no very wonder big.
0: it's no wonder Dr. Fashion Judge said narrow it down. <laughs> <laughs> choose five. Choose a certain era, choose five and uh, because yeah, so, I mean it um, is big. <laughs>
1: uh, I hope uh, when when she hears this uh, conversation, she'll say I've told you so. I've told you so. <laughs> this is a huge topic, Islam. <laughs> but I must say when I generated these questions, I was still a PhD PhD student in the making, right? Meaning I was, I'm still ambitious, but I was way more ambitious. I admit,
0: right? I'm but, but trying I to most, cover quite a bit. But I think most PhD students are because what, what you always say is you now you can you can research and research and research and you never stop researching because there's always something else that's coming up. Like you said, there's another book coming out shortly, and maybe I should read that. But at some stage, as a PhD student, you have to say. I've got enough. Let me write that up. And all these other thoughts I had, that's for another book. But let's get this one done.
1: Oh, That's great. You said that's for another book. Yes. When I suggest something, <laughs> yet another uh, new topic or new aspect to my research, uh, Petra says, this is for another book. Yes,
0: exactly. <laughs> See, they were on the same, as like-minded.
1: Yeah, that's... so uh, I'm very grateful to her for... Raining my wild <laughs> passion it's the hardest thing well you've got
0: lots to do there I do want to ask one more question before we finish if that's okay about your volunteer tutor work with the Kingston Literary Centre oh
1: and yes I, that's yeah, a new so... that's a new position so before the pandemic I felt that I should be useful to community mm-hmm. uh, to my immediate community Queen's University and also Kingston Community. Also, I wanted to connect my research to real life. I wanted to be beneficial to someone. Yes. Other than myself, of course. (laughs) So I contacted this school and then the pandemic happens we we couldn't make much progress at the time but then after the pandemic they invited me for an interview and now i dedicate 2 hours per week and i support a newcomer to improve their english Fantastic. so i teach for 2 hours on tuesday afternoons lovely mm-hmm.
0: i love that that you're giving back and you know more of us need to do that give back cuz we all get a lot of support yeah. along our own journeys so it's nice at times when we know we can actually give back as well. You know,
1: yeah, the, the, this we sp- being useful to someone Correct. makes me feel good.
0: It is. Not, well, that's great. We've all got to feel good, don't we? So, awesome. thank you very much for coming to chat today. I, I think we could have gone on for even longer, but uh, I do <laughs> really, welcome. I do really appreciate it. And, uh, of course, we've got International Education Week, as oslem mentioned. So uh, if you have a chance, people look, out, look at the schedule and, and join in some of that.
1: And we can even meet there at the event. There you I'll can. Be there. Yes,
0: she will be there. So a double bonus. There you go. <laughs> so first of all best of luck with everything you're doing both for the week and also finishing off your phd you've got got a great next year i'm gonna hold you to that there you go (laughs) so that's it everyone a another week of grad chat sadly comes to an end Uh, don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either itunes google podcast spotify or stitcher just type in a grad chat until next week this is cj the dj signing off with a big hooray